When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. And uh, it's a pretty busy Tuesday we have for you. We've got uh, cricket coming up first with uh, Craig coming. We'll analyse what's happened uh, in this World T20 Championship to this point. And, of course, the big one tomorrow morning will preempt that New Zealand against Pakistan. Uh, Phil Totorangi in his normal slot just after 9.30 this morning. Plenty to talk about there. A Japanese man winning a Japanese tournament. And New Zealanders doing very well over the weekend. Well, almost all of them anyway. Steve Mintz is the uh, Auckland Tuatara baseball manager. Uh, It's on the eve of the World Series with the Astros, Houston Astros taking on the Atlanta Braves. So, uh, we'll talk to him about that, and as well as uh, what's not happening on the local scene, sadly. Sam Ackerman and Pat McKendry will be on the panel. Louis Herman Watt, Brendan Popwell back in their normal slots uh, just before 11 o'clock. Uh, and then we'll have a Mount Rushmore for you, as well as other things. Uh, and I'll tell you that subject uh, after the sermon. We might like to get your feedback on it on double eight, double three, And you could win a temper pillow um, in terms of your text coming in for that $299 worth. Uh, and then go in the draw to win 10000 However, business at hand, John. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, yesterday we analysed and somewhat criticised the relatively weak performance of the USA Eagles against the All Blacks. The question being really just how far rugby had progressed in America despite the money and overseas input being invested. On Sunday's evidence, not very far. Today, Scotland cricket may well be mirror-gazing along the same lines humbled, even smashed by a talented Afghanistan team at the Sharjah Cricket Ground earlier this morning. It was embarrassing enough to pull their kilts up over their heads to reveal what they really do wear underneath. Completely and utterly bamboozled by flight and guile and spin, it was pretty awful. They were rabbits in the proverbial headlights of clever deception. They are a a canny bunch themselves, uh, the Afghanis. Not supreme athletes, one or two sharing the same diet, it would seem, as this author. They have enough stock in their batting to challenge most and even more in the tweak department. They will concern the big guns. The Black Caps will have taken very careful notice, for on Sunday, November the 7th, they have an appointment in their last group game. It will have meaning, that fixture too. It must be disconcerting travelling parts of the world playing sport these days under the shadow of this damn pandemic. Imagine doing the same thing when at home your country has just been overrun by the Taliban. We think a couple of weeks in MIQ 
is an issue. And that's if you can win lotto. Think about those blokes and their families back in Kabul and those places. Sport does have an incredible reach these days and never better illustrated this morning as I was scrolling through cricket matches to get results and updates. In Ireland, the Brazilian women's team playing Canada. It was a low-scoring affair and it was followed by the USA against Argentina. Now that is global. All eyes on Sharjah tomorrow for us though. It's the Black Caps in Pakistan that will have feeling and certainly meaning. The bear is angry. The bear feels let down. The bear is playing very well. There will be very, very few pleasantries, I promise you that. And maybe neither there should be. Right, 9.06 here on SCNZ, mornings with Ian Smith through to midday, one of my favourite human beings on, on the phone right now, uh, former Black Cap, uh, former Sky Sport commentator, a jack of all trades really, he's a coach, uh, he's a mentor, uh, he's a tutor, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a jet ski rider, uh, and he makes a damn good cup of tea. Craig Cumming, good morning to you, man. <laughs> good morning, sort of, yeah, yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. I think it's probably the best way to sum that up. But uh, great to be with you, Smitty. Ah, great to have you on the show. Uh, finally, said I know you've got a lot of commitments on the, in the media yourself. So uh, really appreciate you uh, taking some time out to to talk about what's uh, coming up for the Black Caps tomorrow, in particular, uh, mate. Pakistan with some feeling. That's how I've just described it. I think there'll be more than feeling. I think they'll still be hurting over events uh, about uh, six weeks ago. Yeah, I think, um, and listening to your wee sermon, um, the word, I was actually thinking about it last night, knowing that I was going to be uh, coming home with you, Smitty, a bit a little bit of preparation or mental preparation. I didn't want to let you down. And the word that came to mind for me was, we've poked the bear. Um, and it was interesting you just used those words then. Um, I, I think we really have. Um, in Pakistan, I think at times can be a little bit inconsistent. And part of that can be just the way they play the game. But, but I think... This tournament, um, I reckon they've got they've got their bit between their teeth, and, and they feel let down, they feel grumpy, uh, disappointed, uh, angry, and, and they've got a real purpose uh, to what they're doing. It's a little bit like, um, in some ways, it's a little bit like New Zealand at times. They feel like the world's against us. I, I think Pakistan feel that way at the moment, and, and they're out to prove a real point. Um, they did it against India in an absolute comprehensive performance, um, mm. but I think you know the, the two the two people they want to at the moment are. Unfortunately, the Black Caps, and then possibly England. Um, so our guys are, are going to be really challenged. Um, our preparation's been interesting. We've had guys all around the world playing different competitions. I don't know if we quite know what our best team is just yet. Whereas Pakistan, well, they're flying high, Smithy, and we're going to have to play pretty well to even be competitive with them. Do you reckon there'll be any animosity out there, anything said, or there will just be some very serious business being conducted? Oh, I don't think so. Well, I mean, we do know that the players all get on very well. And, and I think out of, you know, we still don't know the full story when it comes to, you know, while New Zealand uh, left. And you know, I've caught up with Jacob Duffy and um, he was part of that. He's back in Otago. And um, they sort of, you know, they got out of there really quickly. Before they knew it, they were sort of back in MIQ and back in New Zealand. So I think the players won't. I think they get on pretty well. I think we've got some of our players that have even played in that Pakistan uh, league that they've had going over there. 
but it certainly won't be nice. Uh, and we know that Pakistan, it doesn't take much to get them fired up, and it doesn't take much to get the, you know, to get the blood boiling. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case. Um, throw in also, Smithy, they're a very good cricket side. So um, I don't think you'll see a lot of that as in um, it's not the way the Black Cats play and, and, and that, but I certainly think there'll be plenty of heat. Um, they're going to try and hit the ball hard. They're going to try and um, be aggressive. But I just think this Pakistan side at the moment, yeah, they, they, but they've got a bit, they're, they're angry. And, and I think um, they, they won't let off and they've got a point to prove. Okay, let's uh, look at their performance um, briefly uh, against India. Could not be more conclusive chasing down, winning by 10 wickets, but pretty much set up by this uh, left armour, Shaheen Afridi, Shaheen Afridi, uh, just 21 years of age, nearly two metres tall, left arm, does pretty much everything with a new ball. So uh, you talk about spin being a factor in this tournament, not necessarily with Pakistan. No, and we always talk about somebody when they used to come over here. I mean, you know, we think of Pakistan, we think of the subcontinent, and we think of spin bowling and, uh, they've had some greats in, in that area, but they also, we know very well, and you, you know you had to face some of them, uh, they've always been able to produce quick bowlers. Um, and they, they, they do that. And, and I suppose for us, we don't know a lot about them, um, so they, they can surprise us. Um, you're Shaheen Afridi, he's been here in New Zealand before. Uh, often, you know, we hear about these 17 and 18-year-olds and you know, who pop out of nowhere, and, you know, he was one of them. Um, they bowl quick. Uh, they love this format of the game. And they just surprise us. So we, we don't see a lot of them. Um, Pakistan don't play in a lot of the leagues. Like, they're not, you know, there's not a lot of them in the IPL. There's not a lot of them over in the UK. Um, but one guy that does stand out, and, I mean, we talk bowlers, you know, Bubba's, I mean, he has been one of the great players of, of the last sort of five years with the bat. And he showed again the other night against India. Um, again, we don't count him as one of the big four or big five that we've got around the world. But he should be because his performances in all formats have been brilliant, and um, you know we've got to try and get wicket to the top. Um, so it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, and that's a hard thing. We've we've had the IPL on, and we've seen the pictures there. But uh, this is just a different format, um, and it's a different way the game's been played. And we don't know a lot. And I mean, you know, even when it comes to our New Zealand side, we don't know how they're going to be set up, and you know what our top six is going to be like. I mean, who's going to be the keeper? Uh, who are our seniors? We know that Satna and Sodi are going to be our bowlers. But, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns for us, and uh, it's not going to be an easy call to play, and we're going to have to hit the ground running. Um, and the question is, I'm not sure how much rating we've done before this tournament starts. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I think we've missed out on a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of cricket, important build-up cricket for this. Uh, let's uh, look at uh, what you think, um, not, not so much what Gary Stead will pick, along with Kane Williamson, what you think will happen. Uh, to the New Zealand look. Let's start at the top of the order. What would your preference be? Um, Guptal plus who? Well, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, this is normally what we normally solve over our cup of tea, Smitty, isn't it? Um, and come, mm. you know, being away from the group for a year and, and, and sort of um, you know, not, not being around the game as much, um, we probably don't have the intimate knowledge that we, we used to have and we used to solve, not that it was right, but we used to have our opinions between a few of us, and over a couple, uh, we used to talk about these sort of things. But, you know, Guptal, um, yeah, a bit of pressure on Guppy, just because I don't think he's set the world on fire in the last 18 months. And uh, But he'd be there, he had some good form in the lead-up, which is good. But they opened with Daryl Mitchell. Uh, now, he did a really good job, Mitchell, but the reason he did that job was because they were waiting for players to arrive. I don't know. I, I, I just look at Darren Conway and think, gee, was he played beautifully last year. What did he... He averaged something like 79 uh, in T20. And he's the kind of player, Smitty, I think, 
you want to give him um, the best time to overall bat is at the top. Um, the field's up so he can just play his natural shots and get underway and, and just play naturally. He's showing that he can go on and get big scores opening the batting. So I, I'd be tempted. I, I think him at the top, Kane at three. Um, then you've got obviously Phillips and four, but it's the middle order to me that might be a little bit more confusing in the way they go, and it'll be the balance. I don't think Satna... Um, oh, sorry, I don't think um, Seifert has done enough with the bat. I think he's really struggled in the last year uh, to be the keeper batsman. So I'd probably give the gloves to Conway, and that just allows you to play an extra batter or bowler. So for me at the moment, Smithy, with, um, and you might tell me I've missed someone, but I'd go Guptill, Conway, and Williamson would be my top three. Yeah, um, I, I'm looking exactly the same thing for the same reasons. I like the left-hand, right-hand combination as well at the top, uh, and yeah. I do think that uh, Conway deserves to... Martin Crowe used to say the best player should bat the most amount of balls. It just makes sense, doesn't it? And yeah, Conway, yeah. I, yeah, I think, I is think in that bracket. Especially in T20. Yeah. yeah, I think in T20, I mean, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat. And, I mean, you know, we, we've seen the power game and we've seen players like Butler and, you know, those sort of players who go out and wash it. I mean, Conway does that, but he does it in a different style. Um, he beats fielders to their left and to their right and along the ground. And one thing you do get in the UAE is, is value for shots along the ground and, uh, he plays the quick ball well. Um, and, yeah, I just think, same with Williamson. Um, you sort of look at them, don't they? And we, we've watched a lot of those players. And all of a sudden, they're on 30 off 18 balls. And you're going, gee, how'd that happen? Uh, whereas mm. someone like Guppy, he's in the highlights reel. He's hitting the balls into the stands. So I think the balance, you know, that sort of balance over there. And I think both him and Williamson, obviously, had two best players of spin. So if they, they go with spin early in the top six, uh, you've got the left-hand, right-hand combination. But you've also got two players in Williamson and, and Conway. Uh, who plays spin very well. So you sort of tick the boxes there, and I think it makes sense. Okay, let's look at the bowling side of things. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this Kyle Jamison uh, spot um, bracket, I guess. You bracket him with Tim Southey, uh, and you bracket him maybe with Lockie Ferguson. Or I think Lockie Ferguson, for me, is a, he's a must-include with his experience now in the IPL, his success there, his change of pace and his raw pace, I think. He's got to be a given, but Jamison uh, all of a sudden is a bit of an issue on the back of the fact that uh, Mike Hessen didn't even pick him towards the end of the IPL. Yep, and I think that's a giveaway. I mean, Jamison did, he got picked when they were playing the IPL in India um, and, and Bangalore and maybe the quicker, bouncier pitcher there, but uh, when they went back to the UAE for the second half, he didn't play. Um, so that shows that um, either his form's not quite there, but I don't think his style of bowling suits the pitches that they play on. He's not expressed pace. He's a bounce bowler. So I just, yeah, he's a high risk. And the other thing, Smitty, I don't think he can bowl in the back end of an innings at the moment. He's learning craft. And um, it just, yeah, it's, it's a, I think at the moment, unproven and probably it doesn't suit the conditions. So definitely lock in uh, Lockie Ferguson. I think all bar uh, the last game where he got had a bit in the IPL, he, he's, yeah, raw pace, can, can knock teams over, good slow balls put him in. Um, the next one I guess at the moment would be Trent Bolt. I think Bolt's probably uh, the left armour, can swing the new ball up top if we need to. He's a good death bowler. I'd say yeah, they're your two cookies uh, who'll play. Um, Saudi, I think, would miss out. Even though, in some of they've always liked Saudi in T20, haven't they? Uh, he's led the mm. side and, um, you know, it might be horses for courses. It might depend on um, the pitch conditions, but at the moment I would just probably have Bolt ahead of him, so I'd go Ferguson and Bolt. Not sure if you're up at 3 o'clock this morning like me uh, to watch <laughs> Afghanistan play Scotland, uh, but I did. And I, what I learnt, and uh, we'll just re-emphasise the fact is, fact is that Afghanistan are dangerous in those conditions, 
and they have a couple of real top quality spinners. So uh, whilst they might not get through to the semi-final stage, they're going to cause Pakistan, India, and in particular, I feel New Zealand in that last pool game, a few issues. So you, you really don't, I don't think the Black Caps want to be in a situation where they have to beat Afghanistan by a lot of runs for a run rate sort of situation at that point. No, no, probably, probably did us a favour by missing out in Bangladesh because it was looking like a terrible pool, wasn't it, with all the subcontinent teams. I mean, once upon a time, somebody, I would have thought if you were up at 3am, it might have been because you just got home. Uh, whereas now I know with the newfound responsibilities of being on from 9 to 12, you would have gone to bed early and that's part of your preparation. So that doesn't surprise me. But oh, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's quite strange because we, we watch... There's a lot of unknowns for us watching uh, this T20 World Cup and you just even mentioned in your in your sermon about um, you know the way the world is at the moment. You sort of you feel connected. You sort of feel quite disconnected. Um, and even you know with the Black Caps not going to Pakistan, we didn't get a chance to see them play. And um, you know we're not quite sure at the moment what's going on. I mean we're not even quite sure what our home summer's going to look like uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to it. But this T20 World Cup, I mean, in T20 it takes one player, um, and you've got someone like with Afghanistan. You've got Rashid Khan who can rip you apart. They can absolutely rip you apart, and that's all it takes in T20. One player to have their day, and it only takes one over. Um, you lose two wickets and one over, that can be enough to, to change the momentum of the game completely. And what we do know over in the UAE, it's very hard to score runs, especially if you're losing wickets you need. And that goes back to maybe our top order. Someone like Williamson and Conway, um, their job will be to bat sort of 15 overs and try and not so much anchor the innings, but you don't want to be losing wickets from both ends. And that'll be really important. So for me, while our bowlers and Sodi um, and Satna play a huge role with the ball, um, I, I think if we're going to go well in this tournament, we need one of our top three uh, always to perform. Um, and that allows our hitters in that middle order against whatever team, whether it be Afghanistan, whether it be Pakistan or India, uh, to get going because it's going to be tough to bat. So that's why we need you know one of those top three to, to do a good job. Otherwise, this is going to be the toughest one for us to get our noses in front. We've had huge success, obviously, we won the the white book and the red ball, uh, we're best in the world at that. We've always done well in the, in the World Cup when it comes to 50 over stuff, but this is this is going to be a real challenge for the guys. Just finally, uh, some great news coming in overnight uh, that Ben Stokes is now available for England uh, for the Ashes. He'll be arriving with the advance party, the tour party, feeling 100% now uh, over those issues and the finger issues, etc. Uh, gee, that's that's going to add ratings, add numbers to the ratings, uh, let alone uh, an interest in the series. They need them. They need them big time, England. Oh, they do. And great news, isn't it? Because yeah, there are, there are certain players around the world that we always enjoy watching, um, and uh, Ben Stokes is one of those, whether it be with the bat or with the ball. Um, actually, I was, I was watching a bit of it last night, just looking through the news last night, and then, you know, Red take that one that um, you know might have been Yorkshire was it when he when he got that 140 and won the test yeah. and put on um, all those runs at the end and you just yeah there are certain players you just love watching um, he's obviously had a tough 18 months uh, personally you know um, we know it well with his father and passing away and and all the challenges that come but what we do know is we want players like Ben Stokes playing um, we love watching the Ashes um, you know over in Australia we get it. On TV here, we watch it, but um, gee, with the Alton Smithies, they all need them, don't they? Because without them, they're a pretty ordinary side. So um, it's it's probably given life into the series, but it's also given England a little bit more hope that they can be competitive. Because I, I feared actually when you looked at their side, other than Joe Root, they're, they're a pretty ordinary side, Smithy, so they actually need them.
Yep, they do. Uh, Sid, uh, always great to catch up with you, mate. It's been a while, so uh, hopefully uh, in person at some stage very shortly, but in the meantime, in, uh, meantime, stay safe down there and make sure you don't run out of uh, fuel on your jet ski. That would be embarrassing. I think um, I think I might be up your way in sort of early December, Smitty, with a super smash with the Otago Spark. Well, I'll make sure of that. I think Tucky team of seafoods, from the sound of your voice, there's a fair bit of that coming across the Smith household, so maybe I can pop along for some prawns <laughs> or maybe some fresh fish. I can arrange that. I think I can arrange it. I'll make a call. Just let, give me a, a little bit more advance warning. I'll make a call. Cheers, buddy. Nice to, nice to talk. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah, cheers. Craig coming there. And, uh, of course, he's the, uh, the coach of the Otago Sparks and the, the women's uh, Big Bash, we call it over here. Um, I forget what it's called. John, you'll be able to. Ah, of course, Super Smash. I've been out of the scene for a little while, and I should have known that. Uh, what I do know is that uh, our text number is double eight double three. Uh, we're going to interesting Mount Rushmore today. You might want to get in on this one. Uh, we're going to debate John and I debate the four most influential, successful sporting people still playing over the age of thirty five. Still playing competitively over the age of thirty five. The four best in the world. There are some prime candidates. Throughout the morning, we'll talk about it. 9.23 here on SENZ. Morton, New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, great news for the Ashes, wasn't it? Uh, All-rounder Ben Stokes has been added to the England squad uh, and will arrive with the rest of the team on time. Uh, He said, I'm buzzing for the Ashes, just buzzing, to be able to confirm to Joe Root that uh, I would be Available to join the tour from the start was a great moment. Rudy said, it was great to hear me sounding so well. I feel much better about everything from my finger to my mental well-being and can focus on playing my best cricket. I had been struggling with bubble life and events off the field. I don't want anyone to feel the way I did because I wasn't in a good place and I'm not afraid to admit it. I was in a real dark place and having some difficult thoughts, but now I realise talking is such a powerful thing and it has completely changed me. So... That is great news for England, uh, just the, the sight of Ben Stokes at the nets and in the England dressing room will add a new dimension uh, to the way that they are playing or about to play in that Ashes series. Not uh, completely uh, full strength, I don't, I don't think at the moment they are still a patch on Australia at home, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Stokes will add to that. Um, it is 9.29, I want to bring Trudy in now if we can. Trude, uh, you... We gave you the honour of picking our topic for this week and uh, all world-class athletes or the best four most uh, world-class athletes still performing over the age of 35. How'd you come up with that one? Well, because yeah, we were going to talk about, um, the, I love your Mount Rushmore, and we are talking about the top cheerleaders and we, just for a laugh. And then he goes, no, you have to choose something else. And I just thought about a couple of topics and I just looked at what Steve Alka was doing with the golf and um, Tom Brady just got that big milestone of, and I just thought, yeah, let's look at, Sports people acing it over 35. So Mount Rushmore today. Did, did you like that idea, Smithy? I was chuffed to be asked, actually. I felt very honoured. I think it's a great one. And um, There are some absolute standout candidates. Absolute standout candidates. And there's others um, that people will differ on. Already we've got a text in the saying there's only one up for, de- up for debate. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, only one space for one more, Trudy, already. So... I bet that changes throughout the morning because I can think of two or three others right in that category right from the outset. So Look forward to I hearing think it. You've come up with a you've come up with a gem. Oh, thanks. So thank you very much <laughs> for that. 
Uh, it's 9.30 here on SENZ, and I'll hand it back to you. It's news time. Well, another added, a name added to the list of uh, players still playing or participants still taking part in their relative sports over the age of 35 at a world-class level. Uh, Kelly Slater, try that one for size. Scott Logan has come in and said Kelly Slater has to be on that list. That was our, That's a left-field one for me, but uh, yeah, I mean, has there been anyone better? And is, uh, he's still dominant in the sport. You bet he is. Kelly Slater, an amazing surfer. Uh, speaking of an amazing, Phil Tuttering has just joined us on the line, which is absolutely fantastic this morning. Uh, Phil, let's kick it off with uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who's uh, had a pretty good last 12 months when you think about it. Uh, he wins the Zozo tournament in his own country. Uh, tell us a wee bit about this fellow and his status now in Japan. Oh, godlike, Smithy. Morning to you, mate. Godlike is uh, Matsuyama. And look, he's, he's, he's gone about it in a, in a slightly different way. There's a, there's a number of promising young amateurs that, um, that race to the pay for play ranks. Matsuyama, after winning the Asian Amateur a couple of times and having a couple of runs at Augusta National, being exposed to the world's media and performing, elected to stay in Japan and, and, and complete university. Um, you know, time time is, uh, his time has come, that's for sure. I think a, a number of people around the golfing world were wondering when Matsuyama or someone other than... Um, Oh geez, the Korean guy that beat uh, that beat Tiger in the PGA a few years back. Another Asian what? player would win a major championship. Was it Yang? And, yeah, Wei Yang. That's it. Got up, Smithy. Well done. Um, I think you're supposed to call me up for these sorts of names, but uh, but well done. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but but I think everyone was kind of waiting around. Okay, yeah, look, Matsuyama's been close. When's it going to happen? And um, fair to say, maybe going into Augusta earlier this year he wasn't the name that was running off everyone's tongue um but it's been one of those years uh been a big year for japanese sport or japanese golf all round with um young lady winning the the asian women's excuse me augusta national women's amateur um they've got the top young men's amateur in the world uh, if you take into account the uh the young lady anomi that uh, won the silver medal in the olympics uh xander shoffle has got connections to japan Hideki going back and winning this past week is most probably capping off a huge year for the game in that country. So um, it, it, he hasn't inspired everybody to all of those achievements, but it's fair to say that uh, his work over the last handful of years and the person that he is, uh, slightly more reserved, uh, still stays in his uh, university dorm when he goes back to, to Japan and to play in Tokyo. Um, more understated than, than some other personalities. I think he's having a huge, huge impact on the sport in Japan. Interesting. Uh, I'll never forget the shot of his caddy at the Masters uh, mm. when he went back to get the, the 18th flag standing there and bowing to the course. And I thought, how spiritual and how amazing was that when you see some of the celebrations between players and caddies, etc., that a caddy would stop to do that. And uh, just what it meant to the caddy himself, which... Which uh, sparked a question to me about, I was thinking about it during the week about caddies and I, I, I don't know whether I'm watching the coverage too closely or not, but it just seems to me, Phil, that caddies are more influential now than uh, perhaps they used to be and I don't know if it's a good thing. Uh, they've got green reading books, they've got yardage books, which I, I, I can completely understand, but 
we've got them lying on the greens reading putts now. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm not sure about it. Am I old school? Yeah, no, you, I, I like you being a little bit old school, Smithy, and it's good to question it. Uh, I think there, you know, there's a fair bit of dough on the line, right, for not only the player, but for the caddy as well. The, the percentages that they get paid out of a, a player's cheque and, um, I mean, Matsuyama banked a cheque for about just under two million bucks here uh, on the weekend. Ten percent of that's not a bad take for for a caddy. So they're they're out there basically turning over every leaf, uncovering every stone. They're making sure that they're providing their players with as much good information as possible. There, there are those that are old school and uh, know their craft, aka a, a, a Steve Williams who. It, it, certainly, uh, Steve did his homework, but he, he mostly did more of his homework on the player, the personality uh, of which he was caddying for. And at times, Tiger required a lot of information. At times, he required very little. In actual fact, in times, Steve actually gave him poor information, the wrong information, to ensure that Tiger got the right feel in his mind for the shot. If he gave him the accurate information, it might not have actually worked out. And he's admitted as much that he's actually given Tiger bad numbers to account for all the adrenaline that was going through his body. So, look, there are a number of different strokes for different folks. Um, it, it, that you know, Some players want, want every inch of information. Some players want a yardage. They want a club and they want their caddy to get the hell out of the way. And ultimately, it's, um, it's having an effective... Um, effective relationship that that you know correlates into performance. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, some of the New Zealand performances uh, in the last uh, seven or days or so, and uh, not a not a happy ending in the end for Amelia Garvey. Uh, she was right in contention inside the top forty-five, which where she needed to be uh, in the last of the four qualifying rounds, and shot seventy-four to miss by three. Heartbreaking, but very young. Yeah, you're right, Smitty. I was following her there over the weekend and, and off to a nice start, 70, 71, 73, 74, the last two rounds, and maybe just didn't quite have her best stuff. Maybe it kind of got to that point where you were you know, keeping an eye on the scoreboard for, for Amelia. Um, look, heartbreaking, um, sure, in that you're chasing your dream and you want to achieve it quickly. You all, all remember when you are 22, 23, you wanted to get to the destination quickly, right? Um, mm. But I think actually having having that de that journey delayed a little bit and going on the windy road, and she's got some conditional status for the Symmetra tour, so that's the secondary tour on the on the women's. And we've had um, a Juliana Alvarez out there um, this year. We had a few players that have been, you know, tinkering around and trying to get their breakthrough. Look, what she needs to play is just tournament golf, and she will certainly learn from that. She's going to be around a lot of friends who she went to college with. That uh, that are going to be playing that tour, and sometimes, Smithy, when you you know when you're forced to take the windy road, uh, once you get on the expressway, you can put your foot down. And and I think for Amelia, she's certainly got the game that can compete out on the LPGA tour. She's just been forced to learn a few other different things by delaying that uh, delaying that step. Lydia Coke shooting uh, or equaling a course record in the final round, and just got better and better as that uh, last event she played in. Uh, went through and finishing what third equal in the end so no, a nice check not that the money probably matters to her but in terms of confidence going forward uh, I think a, a really su successful week yeah another another successful week for, for Lydia she's you know she's tracking about 100 grand a week at the moment um, and so you know that's that's a decent week's work she's had a couple of weeks off and spending some time around some family 
back in uh, in South Korea and took her a little took a little while to get the engine warmed up uh, by the looks of things the first couple of days but it seems like she was in full flight um, with that final round on Sunday and, and look now she's going to return to the states got two more tournaments on the LPGA tour uh, she's most probably going to have to win both of them to put her put could put her head in the ring for um, for player of the year status, I think that's most probably going to go to either Nelly Quarter or the winner last week, Jin Young Ko, who picked up her fourth win. Some sort of tier that she's on at the moment, Smithy. Three wins in her last mm. seven starts. You know, she's been a second and another top six finish in the, in the other couple. Uh, we were talking about her a couple of weeks ago where she had 14 rounds on the trot under, under 70. Uh, she shot 71 in the first round last week and then two rounds in, this, uh, in, in the low 60s to end up taking out the tournament. So she's most probably the hottest player on the planet right now. Nelly Korda um, has certainly had a hot summer and, and picking up that gold medal in Tokyo capped off a couple of wins for her throughout the um, the Northern Hemisphere summer. So they're most probably the two that are duking it out at the top. But Lydia's had an, an, an incredibly consistent season, racking up top tens um, left, right and centre. And I think more than anything, that just keeps the momentum going. Um, when you have weeks where you finish down the back of the bus, you might be scraping around the cut line, this, that and the other. You end up finding too much to work on in your game. Whether you need to work on it or not, you find stuff to work on. I think when you're when you're in that top 10, you're, you're contending, you're kind of getting feels for shooting rounds in the low 60s, you're making a lot of birdies, etc., you just gonna turn up and, and flick the on switch and, and, and the game's so much more fun when you're uh, when you're in that position to be able to do that and that's certainly what she's she's been in, the mode that she's been in pretty much throughout the course of the season. Ryan Fox able to put a full stop on the season. Um, and I, I kind of got the feeling, and I think the commentators actually intimated it, that he was battling a little bit with an ear infection, but his, his heart may well have been on the plane back to New Zealand because he'd been waiting for a spot so long to get home. Um, so it wasn't uh, surprising that his last showing wasn't his uh, best by any stretch of the imagination. But in the end, he got the job done. Yeah, he did. Smith, he's finished uh, well. He's, right now, he's seventy-six on the um, on the standings in, in Europe. So it was much will be a little ways off from being in that race to Dubai finale, which is um, what in about three weeks' time. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's been a tough season. I I, I talked to to. Ryan, at the start of the year, my predictions for him were that this was going to be one of the more challenging of his young professional career to, to date, um, just purely based around schedule and how much he's connected to New Zealand. Um, and I say that not not only just from his family, but there's the, the time that he spends back here recharges the batteries. We, we know that he loves the fish. Um, and, and, and the time away from the golf course sometimes can be equally as important as the time working on your game on the, on the course and on the track. And for Ryan, I think he needs that time to, to rest, recharge, uh, retool. Re, re and uh, he hasn't seen Marcus, his coach, in person since um, early May. And I think the way that he just battled through, um, you know, is, is testament to... You know, I think a lot of athletes are talking about the Smithy at the moment that, you know, the playing conditions have been incredibly challenging, way more so than you see on the telly or read in the newspaper. Um, and, you know, you, you put what they're playing for to the side, just the conditions when you're being removed from family. Um, everyone's got lives, everyone's got other things going on. And, and so the fact that he's been able to 
battle through, get a couple of decent performances at the back end of the year. Um, big bonus that he was able to get that MIQ spot and be back. And he's in, looking forward to um, to a big summer of being able to rest and retool and recharge. Maybe kind of replan and reassess where he's at in his career. 34 years of age now. He's had a win on the European Tour. What's this next stage of his career like? Um, and 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 what are the what are the goals that he wants to achieve over the next five years or so? Phil Tauterangi with us. Uh, finally, Phil, uh, this November you've got a promotion going uh, and you've also got a Whisker Series uh, podcast going as well, uh, released every Friday uh, only on the SENZ app. Uh, have you got a subject uh, this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to kick it off with um, actually talking to Rob Dunn, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, Smithy. He's the country manager for Movember. So we're, we'll kind mm. of set things up, set, set the framework really for for the whole month of November. I mean, a lot, lot of... A lot of, you know, blokes like to grow a little bit of facial hair and be a little bit more casual with the razor over the, over the course of, of November for a bit of fun with their with their buddies. Um, there's something really serious that sits in behind it and it's driving the awareness for not only prostate case, cancer, testicular cancer, but men's mental health and well-being and suicide prevention. There's a lot of people doing really good work in this sector. Um, but Movember have, have you know, put a campaign together and, and have been really driving awareness and raising funds as well. And so Rob's going to kick us off with, um, with with kind of some of that framework and why people um, maybe should, should look to get involved, men and women. Um, and then I was just talking with uh, Slade McFarlane. He's going to be our subject next week. I talked to Rachel McGowan, former Blackstick. She's, um, she's going to come on. She's got a podcast of her own. And, and she's now in player welfare for New Zealand football. And so had a really interesting chat to her the other day. And, and at, at the risk of actually hitting play and saying, Rachel, this conversation's great. Let's save some of this material when we, when we do actually play the podcast. So a lo- lot of interesting subjects um, throughout the course of uh, the month of November. Smithy, really looking forward forward to, to having some of those chats and sharing some of those insights with um, with our audiences. Good on you, Phil. Thanks very much. And as always, tee it up with Phil, 7 o'clock on Saturday mornings as well. Very busy part of our show here on SCNZ. 9.46, back shortly. Uh, we'll have a multi just before 10 o'clock as well. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 9.51 here on SENZ, and we've been asking this morning on double eight double three, your top four people involved and still performing at a world-class level over the age of 35, the most important or most influential in the world. Uh, now another one has come in for Kelly Slater, uh, and that's from Carl. He says he might not be at the peak of his powers, but he performed a 10-point ride at the age of 47 in the 2019 Billabong Pipe Masters and was still world number one at the age of 41. That is incredible. Hadn't thought of Kelly Slater. We'll have to now. Um, another person has come in, uh, obviously a mixed martial arts fan, Fedor Emelianenko, Jan Blakovic, and Demetrius Johnson uh, in the top uh, bracket of those people. Uh, Manonu as well added to that list, so Demetrius Johnson prop uh, from memory. And, and also uh, LeBron James, Lyndon says LeBron James, Tom Brady, Lionel Messi, and Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, there's plenty of great names, but there's still plenty of great names that have been mentioned. Double eight, double three. Get on on the act today. Uh, we'll be back uh, with our multi very shortly. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the holder, know when the folder. Smithy's multi. Know when the 
walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, not having much luck, uh, San Francisco 49ers to beat the Indianapolis Colts at about 54. Well, they lost. The Colts gave them a fair old pasting, actually, so uh, the rest of it didn't really seem to matter at the moment. Uh, the football game, Boa Vista versus Belenensis is a nil-all draw, just approaching half-time. So uh, today I've uh, handed the reins over to Brian Rariri, who, of course, is our panellist. Uh, he's uh, the man that answers the phones. And, and uh, so this is what Brian's come up with for us today. Uh, he's gone uh, a little bit of uh, American football as well. He's gone for the Saints today, the New Orleans Saints, to beat the Seattle Seahawks at a buck forty-five. He's also a tennis aficionado, Brian. Little did you know, uh, and he's gone for the Canadian tennis player Ogier Aliasami, uh, Aliasami, who played really, really well uh, just recently in the U.S. Open. Uh, he's going to beat Barankas, uh, and that's at the ATP at Vienna, where Brian was actually there last year, a uh, dollar thirty-one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, also he is really up on his London football clubs. He's a Gunner fan. He's absolute Gunner. So Arsenal to beat Leeds United tomorrow morning at a buck sixty-two. So if you follow Brian, you will be home for three dollars and eight cents. Small fish are sweet, Brian. Absolutely wish you the best of luck there. Uh, a couple of other texts that have come in: Serena Williams, Serena Williams for tennis. Uh, Roger Federer for tennis, obviously Hugh, he's got to be on somebody's list, doesn't he? Uh, and also the name Scott Dixon came up. 9.59 coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ uh, after the break. We're going to go baseball. Talk to Steve Mintz, Auckland Tuatara manager, former Major League Baseball pitcher himself. It is World Series time. The Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. Can't wait for that tomorrow. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport, bought in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Well, it's two minutes past ten here on SCNZ in New Zealand. Uh, it's a different time zone altogether where we join now our next guest, Steve Mintz, who is uh, uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Steve is the uh, Auckland Tuatara manager. Uh, and of course a former Major League Baseball pitcher himself and uh, for any baseball lover they know this is the most exciting time in baseball because it's World Series time tomorrow, the Houston Astros at home to Atlanta Braves in Game game 1. So uh, Steve, uh, thanks very much for, for joining us, giving us a bit of an insight on there but first of all, whilst baseball is happening in America it, it doesn't appear there's going to be too much uh, on this side of the world at the moment, because uh, there's uh, no Australian Baseball League this season. No, you know, well, y'all know very well, I mean, the Tour Tour, I mean, we, we pulled out months ago, you know, uh, kind of anticipating the the COVID and restrictions, lockdowns and all that stuff, and uh, the ABL, they were, you know, they were going to try to move forward, but uh, with the way, you know, the, the country is there now, and you know, different states shut down and not letting travel in or out. Uh, it just, uh, I think they just finally got to a point to where, you know, it was just like, this is, this is, we're, we're going to waste a lot of money like we did last year. So we might go ahead and pull the plug. So, um, I know there's a lot of Australians, uh, Kiwis too, you know, that are very, very disappointed. Uh, but I think for, uh, for the league and, and moving forward, uh, that this was the only option, you know, to, to close it down, uh, and let teams, uh, reboot and and try to get ready for twenty two twenty three. 
Well, this is one of the great uh, sadnesses about it too, uh, Steve, is because, of course, um, the, the, it's gaining traction here. Uh, the tour, Auckland Tuatara as a, as a franchise, as a club, was gaining, gaining traction in this country. So all of a sudden, that, that's all been put on ice, which is, which is very disappointing because the game needs uh, all that sort of interest, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, you know, and I mean, now we're going to, you know, the, the, the second year in a row in uh, New Zealand, and um, like you said, the traction that we gained in just a short two years, um, putting the, you know, the second largest crowd ever in a playoff game, uh, you know, there in Auckland uh, for our playoff game against Melbourne uh, to, you know, to basically, you know, shut down last year and shut down again this year. But um, I guess the positive is that, you know, uh, we're going to have plenty of time to plan and hopefully we're going to be able to put uh, a great team together uh, there in Auckland uh, next summer. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's basically what we're looking forward to. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, our relationships here with the, with the Texas Rangers and um, hopefully a couple of other affiliated teams. And uh, we'll be able to put, put a, a really good product out there on the field, you know, for the Tuatar nation to be able to cheer us on again. So, Steve, it doesn't sound like that's dampened your enthusiasm uh, whilst it's been put on hold. So your future still is, is with the club and, and in New Zealand. Is that the case? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, I, I mean, I, I, mean, I talk I with Regan. I mean, we talk uh, sometimes a couple times a week, you know, talking and planning. And, uh, and then now with the, you know, with the program that we've put in place there in New Zealand, uh, trying to get the younger kids in there so we can continue developing them. And then I've had talks with uh, some of the college kids over here in America um, that'll be coming back. Uh, try to keep our Kiwi presence as strong as we can. Uh, that's been my, you know, that's been my drive ever since coming over and taking the job was to be able to promote, you know, the Kiwi baseball players. And uh, you know, we've got uh, Elliot's over here playing now, and uh, uh, that that gives us another, you know, thumbs up with another Kiwi that's got a shot to play professional baseball, but. Um, uh, we're in this for the long haul, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to build this sport in New Zealand and, um, no need to back down now. Yeah. We took a couple punches in the gut with not being able to play seasons, but, uh, we, we've got to continue growing the sport and the, the, the baseballers that are there that want to get better. Um, we've got, you know, we've got a program now that we, we feel like we can continue developing them. And getting them better to be on board, you know, with the Tuatar when we do kick off our next season. Okay, so there's no baseball here to watch uh, this summer, but if you're a baseball fan, and I put my hand up to being one, this is the most exciting time of the year. <laughs> one of the reasons baseball is so popular in this country is because of the exposure that it gets uh, four, five, six games a week, maybe, of uh, Major League Baseball on Sky Television, which is fantastic. And now we've reached uh, the, the the pinnacle point of the season, Steve, um, and really, uh, I think it's quite uh, an interesting matchup. This the Astros and the Braves. Uh, how do you see it going? Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn. Uh, one of my best buddies, Dusty Baker, he was my manager when I was in the big leagues with the Giants uh, way back in 1995, and we're still good friends to today. So I'm kind of pulling for him. But I also want the Braves and uh, and, and and Mr. Freeman. Um, I'd love for him to be able to capture one. But uh, Dusty's never won one as a manager, so it would be be special to him. Um, and then uh, also Eddie Rosario. Um, I had him when he was just a kid 
uh, back with the Minnesota Twins when he first came into baseball, and I was able to watch him grow and develop as a baseball player too. So um, I've kind of got a bunch of irons in the fire. I'm hoping it's going to be a great World Series. Um, but I'm if if I had to pick right now, you put a gun to my head, I'd have to say I'd, I'd rather the Braves win. But uh, I think it should be an outstanding series. Those guys have fought tooth and nail to get to this point. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a an outstanding fall classic. I'll just put it that way. Well, one of the great things about American sport is they they it's like they always have a camera on the coaches, whether it's the NBA or the MLB or uh, NFL. Is always the focus point on the guy that's in charge, the manager as such. Tell us about the different personalities. I mean, you know Dusty Baker so well. He's won it as a player, um, but he's been around uh, the managing scene for quite some time. Very recognisable. Maybe not so much Brian Snitker. So tell us about their personalities. Uh, yeah, Dusty's uh, he's he's pretty much uh, Dusty's a, a player's guy, you know. And he's uh, at at seventy two years old, um, you know. He's been there and seen a lot, you know. So he's going to stay maybe a little more calm. And then the the guy in the other dugout, he's pretty much the same way, you know. He's uh, seen a lot, been around the game a ton, and. Um, he, he's a player's guy also, you know, and, and you can watch him too. You know, you see old Dusty over there when they get a big out, you know, he's got his, he's got his wristbands on and his gloves and he's hollering and trying to spit his toothpick out or whatever, you know. So, um, those guys, they, they, they want to win, uh, just as bad as the players. Um, but they do have to keep, uh, they have to keep a lot of their, more of their emotions intact because they're, trying to navigate a baseball game and pitching and all those type things, so they have to kind of stay in check. But when big things happen, uh, Dusty, Dusty's going to cheer over there and give you a fist pump, I can tell you that. <laughs> okay, let's look at, um, let's look at those, those two pitching uh, uh, strengths of, of the pitching. So a lot of people say that's where it's won and lost, uh, on the mound and out of the dugout, so, uh, out of uh, the bullpen. So let's, let's look at that, uh, Steve. How do, you, how do you think they match up pitching-wise? Um, the, the, these two teams, uh, to, to my liking, um, they like to send their starters out and let them pitch, uh, with the way analytics have gone today. Um, you see other teams and they, you know, only want the pitchers to go through one time or two times through the order. And then, the, like the Dodgers, they had days where it was like bullpen days, you know, but these, these two teams, I think they, they, they will rely heavily on their starting pitching, but they both. Um, they have the ability to turn any game, you know, into a four-inning game if they can get past the fifth inning. They, they have the they have the bullpen help to be able to turn turn games into you know three four-inning baseball games um, when they get leads and stuff. But um, I think I think it's going to be the starting pitching uh, for both teams, whichever whichever team starting pitching is able to pitch games into more of the fifth sixth inning. Um, I think those that team is going to have the upper hand on winning this series. Whoever starting pitchers can move the game deeper um, more often. Steve, uh, you pitched for the Giants, but you also pitched uh, for the Anaheim Angels as well. So, uh, just tell us, just tell us what it's like. Actually, uh, is there a big advantage in pitching at home? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, the, the crowds and all have a, you know, they, they have effects on stuff, but, you know, some of the, some of the better pitchers, um, it don't matter. They don't, they don't hear the crowds half the time anyway. Uh, they're, they're so focused in on what they're doing, but, um, being at home and, 
you know, knowing, you know, your ballpark and, you know, where, where you can't make mistakes and different things like that, uh, um, helps out. Um, but, uh, for the most part, the, you know, the, the, the better pitchers, uh, they're, they're going to do their jobs no matter what ballpark they're pitching in. Okay, so let's look at the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher. Now, are, are you predominantly getting your signals as a pitcher from the catcher? And if you come to an impasse, who decides on what pitch it's going to be? I mean, you've got the ball. Uh, are you in charge of the final decision, or is the catcher or someone in the dugout sending you messages? No, um, uh, it's, the, it's the pitcher 100%. Now, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, studying and things that go on with tendencies and um, swing and miss percentages and all those type things. And a uh, pitcher and a catcher, they're going, especially a starting pitcher and a, and a catcher, they're going in, you know, with a game plan, you know, for the nine guys in the lineup. And But uh, if it comes down to, you know, the, the, as long as the pitcher's shaking his head, you know, you got to put down something else, you know. So, um, um, Sometimes the pitcher feels, you know, maybe he's seen something or he feels he can throw a pitch. But, um, you know, things, even the younger pitches, what we try to tell them is, you know, we, we want them to throw every pitch they throw with a 100% conviction. And if, if they're up there throwing pitches that they don't, that they really don't want to throw, uh, a lot of times bad things happen anyway. So um, the catcher and the pitcher relationship is very, very important, getting on the same page. Um, but at the end of the day, uh the pitcher uh, is going to throw the pitch that he wants to throw, even if he's got to shake three or four times, you know, in those those situations. So you've got, you've mentioned Freddie Freeman, you've mentioned uh, Eddie Rosario. Uh, who are the hitters in both teams that we should look out for for making a difference? Yeah, well, both of those guys. Uh, um, and then uh, uh, Serrano, the guy with the Braves that had the COVID, he was out for the majority of uh, the Dodgers series. I think he pinch hit um, game six or something and got a base hit. But um, uh, him, yeah, and then you got, you know, uh, uh, Turner and uh, that Alvarez guy and uh, Correa, I mean, uh, Altuve. I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of people that can hit, you know, and uh, Houston's probably more of a, a hitter's ballpark, you know, with that short left field. And then, you know, Atlanta's more, probably more of a truer ballpark, you know, with the dimensions all, you know, kind of normal. But um, all of those hitters, they can they can flat out hit. They can hit mistakes uh, uh, behind in the count. You know, they're able to. And um, some of the two-strike, uh, two-out hitting that the Astros did um, against Boston and even Atlanta did, you know, against the Dodgers at times. But those, uh, those, those two-out runs – um, that's what wins championships. I can tell you that. And the Astros, I forget, there was some astronomical number that they had uh, with two outruns that they scored on, on Boston to beat them. So um, finishing innings and trying to get, you know, get hitters out of the way with two outs and trying to get innings over with is going to be a huge deal, too, for both teams. Steve Mintz, uh, thanks for joining us uh, so much from Wilmington, North Carolina, um, this morning New Zealand time. I can't wait for the first pitch tomorrow afternoon. It is New Zealand time, about nine minutes past one, they're estimating. So there'll be national anthems, player introductions, all sorts of things. I look forward to it, mate. Um, probably not as much as you and the rest of America, but I'll be there. So, <laughs> hey, thanks Hey, thanks for your time and all the best getting home and getting some baseball up and running here too, eh? Yeah, 
Absolutely, mate. We're we're gonna get it done. We we we're we're working hard toward twenty two, and we're gonna do everything in our power to have baseball in uh, back in New Zealand uh, next summer. Can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for your input on the show this morning, and enjoy that World Series. It will be fantastic too. I think very even sides actually. To be honest, two even ball clubs. Ten sixteen here on SENZ, uh, and uh, we're looking for text double eight double three this morning. Uh, if you're in, uh, you can win a temper pillow with uh, 299. We've already handed out at least three of those. We've got another one to go. Plus, we've got the magnificent $10,000 package, the temper queen mattress, the adjustable queen base, and two temper uh, values, uh, two temper pillows, all valued at 10,000 bucks total. I mean, that is just an amazing prize. We will be giving it out, by the way, on this show. So come on, help us out. Who do you think uh, these? Uh, top four people are still involved in sport, still actively playing at the top of their game over the age of 35. 10.17 here. On the SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, the panel this morning consists of Pat McKendry and Sam Ackerman, regular uh, members of the panel as well, and uh, appreciate their input this morning. Good morning to you gentlemen. First of all, uh, Pat, well, I've been waiting for this since uh, New Zealand pulled out of Pakistan before a ball was bowled. Uh, the reaction from Pakistan was um, a, a little bit heated, I think, with justification from their point of view. New Zealand not really doing anything wrong themselves, but that's not how it's perceived. And now Pakistan have said, we can't wait to get you at uh, the T20 World Cup. And that now is tomorrow, New Zealand time. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah, g'day, Smithy. G'day, Sam. Yeah, certainly am, uh, Smithy. Um, you know, obviously, you know, what, what, with what's happened in the recent past, uh, and also, I guess, uh, Pakistan playing so well and beating India uh, recently in the warm-up match, um, it's certainly all on uh, in the early hours of tomorrow morning. Um, I, I guess um, <clears throat> it's been, uh, you know, if you just face uh, 10 weeks of lockdown like, like us Aucklanders have, you know, you'll... You'll look forward to any uh, any entertainment of the of the sporting kind, and certainly this is something to look forward to. I guess um, you know the big one will be Martin Guptill. I guess uh, as you know, Smithy, a lot hinges on him and, and how he plays, and he's obviously a confidence player. And I hope um, you know, I just hope he he strikes form for his sake and for New Zealand. Yeah, I think his battle against uh, the spin, if he uh, if he survives, Shaheen Afridi will be a key to it. Uh, Pat, to be honest, Sam. Uh, what about yourself? I mean, uh, it's not very often you 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 get involved in a sort of a, a cricketing clash outside the Ashes or India versus Pakistan uh, that has a little bit of hate, a little bit of animosity in it. I think there'll be plenty. I really do. Yeah, I'll be. One, I'm really curious to see whether New Zealand matches fire to fire with fire with that, Smithy, because um, we know that the Pakistani. Uh, team players and officials have got reason to be fired up, but New Zealand only have the the event and want to do well. They don't have something to prove to Pakistan in that same context or to uh, defend their nation's honour and the uh, the wider state of things. So we've we've seen them uh, be the the spirit of cricket, this team that always plays with the uh, the right intentions and the right level. So it's been a while since we've seen you know New Zealanders kind of get really quite you know, involved in agro if you like uh, that level of cricket. So I'm really interested. See if uh, if the heat comes, how they handle it, and whether it's with the same style, or if they'll uh, try to match that fire with fire. And I know the pace bowlers are capable of putting a bit of pressure on. And um, Pat mentioned uh, Marty Guptill, and we've definitely got some batsmen to 
uh, to blaze a bit and, uh, and and needle with their with their bat rather than their mouth. So I'm I'm really intrigued by it all. And Kane Williamson is being Kane Williamson and talking about anything that resembles conflict because I don't know if he's capable of real conflict. I don't know he's got that bone in his body for that, but uh, it should be fantastic. Uh, and they, Pat was right about that win against India, but it's not just a win; it's a demolition. You beat India by ten wickets. Everyone should sit up and take notice. I'm sure the Black Caps have. Oh, I'm sure they have, and if they haven't, uh, they're stupid because that was impressive. As uh, I'm not sure if you caught any of the highlights this morning, I, I got up uh, some ungodly hour, and I'm glad I did actually. I, I watched um, Afghanistan play Scotland. I always thought Afghanistan would win, but not by the same token that they did, Pat. And here's a side that um, not only do they battle the, the pandemic like the rest of the world, but they got the Taliban knocking down their doors as well. So <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not a, a normal situation to be away playing cricket, but these guys manage, and they're not too bad at the damn game. Oh, it's brilliant to see, isn't it? And, you know, pres- presumably they'll be just everyone's second favourite team at the tournament, I would have thought, given what they've gone through and, and what they are going through. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. And I, I didn't actually catch that game, but um, it's, it's great that they've, you know, uh, kept on that um, improvement curve. Uh, they've become, you know, genuine competitors and, you know, anything could happen. Okay, Sam, let's uh, change tack to uh, the NRL and uh, at this stage, no policy on enforcing vaccinations there. What's what's your take on that? Are you uh, uh, you up in arms or you are uh, in agreement? Uh, I'd I'd say I'm neither particularly. I'm I'm unsurprised is my main um, feeling because the NRL hasn't really come down uh, abundantly hard on uh, on vaccinations, and I certainly believe that uh, they they know there is a, a core section within that uh, the NRL community that's being made clear from the the start of the pandemic that are, um, are pro-choice, anti-vax, whatever you want to call it, but they're, they're unvaccinated, uh, and that's a scenario where they need to decide whether they're prepared to end uh, livelihoods or stop being going to make money off uh, off those players' talents. So. I, the main thing is, though, for an organisation like um, the NRL, and just like the AFL have come out with theirs in a very hardline stance, it's uh, no jab, no no play, uh, but the federal governments are taking control of this anyway. It's, these decisions are being made uh, largely in, by the uh, by those states, and uh, if you are unvaccinated, you will not be able to travel into certain areas. So they are putting their hand up and saying, you can do what you like, but there are consequences for it. We'll... Uh, will clubs, I think clubs would love to see the NRL take an overall stance to take the pressure off them, but the NRL's gone the other way and say, well, we're going to leave it in the hands of the federal government to make these calls rather than be the ones to make the, the rulings ourselves. I think it's becoming quite a prevalent situation where everybody is now uh, shouldering arms and allowing the, uh, the the hard stuff to go through to the uh, the highest level it can. Well, that's interesting, that, uh, Pat, for me, because, OK, uh, the NRL is huge in Australia, we know that. So is the AFL, and they've both taken different yeah. stances on it to this point. But the Aussie Tennis Open, they've said no. No vaccinations absolutely have to be uh, undertaken there. And we're talking now about the first tennis major of the year, which is on much more a global scale than those two Australian events. So that's an, a, an interesting stance in itself. But uh, I guess if you don't do it, you don't get Djokovic, you don't get some of the stars. The, the tennis one seems like a bit of a sock to, to Djokovic in particular, doesn't it? Um, I, don't, I just don't get it, to be honest. I think uh, I think organisations, sporting organisations and, and um, organisations that put on events have a duty of care in terms of the athletes competing and the officials 
who are involved as well, along with the spectators. So I just don't really get it. Uh, as far as the tennis one, um, you know, there seems a bit of, bit of confusion around sort of leaked emails from Tennis Australia to the governing to the world governing body saying, oh, this, this, you know, you know, tennis players don't have to necessarily be vaccinated to, to enter Australia and get a visa. Uh, just don't get it, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, presumably they'll have to quarantine um, for, for 14 days and then uh, be, you know, tested regularly, which may in itself sort of convince people to get the jab. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just would have thought that they, that they have a duty of care to look after their athletes and officials, to be honest. Yep, good point. I don't understand um, Pat, how, how they can get away with it in, in Victoria, that Victoria would not allow uh, uh, the strictest so far of the states uh, in Australia about uh, vaccinated uh, to enter the state. And there's no way they're giving exemptions to a tennis player to come in unvaccinated. They'd get their backsides handed to them. So it's uh, for me, every time there's a leaked email, I always wonder who stands to gain from this. And I wonder whether it's Tennis Australia looking at a situation where they're saying, look, we'd let you in, but the government's not. Or uh, there's some there's, there's there's something not quite right here, and I don't think we've seen the uh, the full picture. And us, the the current update from uh, Tennis Australia certainly flies in the face of everything that the, uh, the Victorian uh, regional government, let alone the you know, state government, rather rather than the federal government, is saying. So it's and they've quoted they've been quoted since uh, that email went out saying I don't know where this is coming from. We haven't given the green light on this, so they're going to look like fools if they backtrack. So somebody's in for a, a bit of a face. Yeah, watch the space on that one, fellas. Um, listen, please uh, stay with us. Pat McKendry and Sam Ackerman, more to talk about after the news. It's uh, just after 10.30. Here's Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Okay, well, Pat McKendry and Sam Ackerman are still with us, uh, thankfully. Uh, Pat, let's uh, pick up on a couple of uh, points in the news that Trudy, Trudy just read out there. Uh, was it a, an insult to United States rugby in terms of their hosting ability? That result at the weekend, would that affect that, um, the uh, World Rugby Board or is it about the Deleros? I don't think it was an insult. Um, I, I found it very hard to be interested or excited about the, the test and that, and that sort of continued during the test itself uh, because it was so one-sided and, and it was always going to be. Um, it wasn't an insult. It was um, a chance for USA fans to watch the All Blacks uh, in Washington. Um, obviously, a chance for the USA players to get a taste about what it's like at the top level. Um, and it was a chance uh, for both unions to make some money. Um, you know, and that, and that, yes, that's the, you've got to be pragmatic about these things, um, especially in these time, COVID times. Um, you know, uh, organisations are struggling, aren't they? And so, yeah, um, it wasn't an insult, but certainly um, I, I, uh, I found it very hard to get excited about the test. OK, Sam, let's uh, look at the one this weekend then, uh, this Sunday morning. It is Wales this time around. And, man, they're, they're ringing round, picking up players for this test against the All Blacks. was a day when they couldn't wait to play the All Blacks, but now for various reasons, a few injuries, but uh, clubs taking precedence at this time of the year. This also is threatening to become a high-scoring non-event, which I don't get. Yeah, well, it's, this is the deal when it comes to test matches with the All Blacks, though. Of course we'd love to see the All Blacks involved in real contest on a regular basis, but uh, take 
uh, the period where uh, New Zealand was handing Australia um, defeat after defeat after defeat in the Bledisloe Cup, they added extra fixtures by playing uh, in, in Japan and and all these other venues to try to uh, muscle up some more money. And, and that's that's what it is. It's about making more money, and there is an audience for it, there's an appetite for it. Uh, and if, if if they're playing in front of empty stands um, for the Welsh game, sure, that'd be a terrible thing. We know that's not going to be the case. They'll be pleased to see the All Blacks there, given uh, the years we've had um, the last uh, couple of years as far as international games. It's a, bit, it's a benefit to the union. They'll make money. It's a benefit to the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby. They'll make money. The players who play will probably get their, um, a big beating handed to them by the All Blacks as well, but they will be better off having a chance to, to play against them. I mean, we take Argentina and uh, the amount of defeats that they suffered in the rugby championship before getting a situation where they could beat the All Blacks, which they have done. So, I, yes, the, the critics are right. It is a, it's going to be a massive mismatch, uh, and it's about money-making, but if they are just conning on to that now, then they've missed it, what's been going on in rugby for the past 10, 15, 20 years. Well, that's interesting for me, Pat. There was, uh, in days gone by, I think there probably still is, a basketball team that used to um, travel the world um, playing festival matches and, and all, do all sorts of tricks and things. Uh, with the result not really mattering that, mattering that much. And they were called the Harlem Globetrotters. Are the All Blacks becoming the Harlem Globetrotters of rugby uh, for financial reasons? Um, they probably would apply if they won every game. Um, but it wasn't so long ago. <laughs> they, they were challenged pretty hard by the, by the Springboks over two tests, weren't they? They just scraped home one and lost the other one. Um, Sam's dead right around the, the, the interest in Wales. I mean, I think it's a sellout this test, isn't it, in Cardiff? So there's going to be huge interest. It's just unfortunate, really, that the English clubs might release well, the five or six uh, of, of Wales's best players. And so they're going to be lacking a little bit of quality and a little bit of experience. But it's a genuine test match against a, uh, a nation uh, in Wales in which rugby is its national game. So, yeah, bring it on. It's, it's, a, it's a proper test. Uh, if I asked you, Sam Ackerman, uh, your... I won't say favourite, but I'd just say the player over the age of 35 still making an impact in their particular sport to a very, very high level. If I, if I had to get you to nail it down to one, who would be your player? Well, for the sake of fairness, I'm going to take myself out of the running in my undefeated streak at force back in the uh, backyard with my young fella because I don't think it's, a, 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 it's fair to nominate myself. Pat can do that later on. Uh, I'm, I find it hard to choose between um, LeBron James and, and, and uh, Tom Brady, but I'll go with Brady because he won a, a title just last season. It wasn't that long ago since LeBron did either. I mean, to see these guys at their age still kicking goals, uh, well, throwing passes, I should say, more precisely, but uh, and, uh, and, and basketballs, but uh, their skill level uh, and ability to be, um, you know, industry-leading and, and generation-changing is phenomenal. I'll, I'd lean towards Brady uh, with the seven um, Super Bowl championships and a dominant streak, but I do love the concept that uh, everywhere that, um, that LeBron James has gone, he's brought success. So can't, I can't separate those two, personally. I'm always a, I always lean towards basketballers because it's such a, they're such big men and it's such a small court. You think they'd be able to be shut down, but they can't. I mean, uh, you know, the, Jordan and LeBron James are just exceptional to me in that regard. So uh, he's got to be right up there. But what about you, Pat? I'd be inclined to go with Brady initially. He's 44 for God's sake. I mean, that's just astonishing, yeah. isn't it? He reckons he can keep mm. playing for another 10 years. It's just mad. Um, I guess, having a think about it, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the Swedish footballer, he's 40, still playing, I think, for AC Milan. 
still doing a pretty decent job up front. Um, closer to home, I Valerie Adams is 37, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lisa Carrington's not too far away. She's 32, and she's obviously, you know, in a class of her own in the, in the kayak. So, yeah, there's, there's a few to, uh, to think about. Um, uh, another one's Israel Adesanya. He's, he's approaching 35, he's 32. He's, he's a pretty elite athlete in his own right. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning. Sam Ackerman and Pat McKendry with uh, thoughts on a real cross-section of issues this morning. Uh, don't forget you can contribute too on that uh, over 35s, if you like. I've got to confess, when I started my list last night, I had Dame Valerie Adams on that list. Uh, I also had uh, LeBron James, Tom Brady, and also, for some reason, had Bernard Langer on there. Um, this is this ageless, ageless German golfer who is still winning tournaments and making an absolute fortune on the same tour that Steve Elker's involved in. And I thought Bernhard Langer, at his age, uh, that's something really, really special. Uh, but did they make my final four? Mm, we'll wait and see, uh, around about uh, 11.40 this morning. Uh, but we'd love your input. Thank you very much for that. Hugh's come in and said the tennis players might not get into Oz, the government might stop them travelling, and it sounds like... Uh, uh, they have got their bit to play yet. Uh, remember, it's not the uh, central government. This is the federal government. Uh, uh, it, this is not the federal government. It's the local government in terms of uh, the state government being the Victorian government, and uh, they will have the final say on the matter. Uh, it's an interesting one because uh, they've got that federal government and then the state government set up in Australia, uh, a bit like our uh, central government and local government, except our local governments do nothing. Uh, look, it's 10.41 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.46 here on SENZ. Yeah, and just getting back to that Wales uh, struggling for players ahead of the All Blacks clash. I knew they were going to miss a few. They've added Alex Cuthbert, hasn't been playing for Wales since 2017, coming up four years. Uh, so former Kiwi coach, of course, uh, for New, former New Zealander anyway, Wayne Pivak, who's coached uh, North Harbour, uh, Fiji. Uh, now, uh, of course, he's uh, with Wales, a fr- proud tradition of New Zealanders coaching Wales. Um, but he's got d- doubts, uh, fitness doubts about his uh, British and Orange Lions, uh, Lions fullback Liam Williams. He's trained with Wales, but it's not played for the Scarlets this season since having his appendix removed. Uh, Alice Jenkins is another one who came off with a rib problem against... Uh, the Sharks, so he is in doubt. Uh, facing in other injury crisis with um, uh, Justin Tupadik, George North, well-performed George North, uh, Lee Halfpenny, Dan Lydiot, James Botham, they're all ruled out of the entire autumn series. Uh, I can see 50 to 60 points, John Day. Oh, I seriously can on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's been so long since Wales have beaten the All Blacks, um, getting on to almost 70 years now, and they won't have any chance this weekend, Smithy. I mean, those are some massive players, um, like the likes of Dan Bigger especially. I think they'll miss him at 10. I know um, Gareth Anscombe's on his way back from a massive long-term injury, but a massive call to chuck him in the 10 jersey against the All Blacks at um, Principality Stadium. So I know they've got a full sold-out crowd and everyone's going to make money, um, but yeah, holding this test outside the English club window so those players aren't available and all those injury concerns, uh, I guess it's another chance for the All Blacks to warm up some of our players 
guys like Sam Kane could probably get another run and we could get away with it, Smithy, before the, the real big ones against Ireland and France, of course. I think those are the ones that we're kind of earmarking on this tour, Smithy, which is a shame. I mean, we're not playing England on this Northern Tour. We're facing an understrength Welsh side. We're facing an Italy side, I mean, who come last every year in the Six Nations. Uh, there's, you know, there's not a lot of big games to look forward to on this end of year tour. No, there's not, uh, and it is. Uh, it's just um, come and watch the All Blacks, pay a hundred quid, come and watch the All Blacks play because um, it's well worth doing. We don't see them very often, uh, but it, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters. For me, it's exactly the same principle. You bring all these former star players or decent players to town all of a sudden, um, and you just it's like the circus coming to town rather than an actual game of rugby. So that worries me and uh, the influence of English owners, that'll be sorely tested, the influence of English owners, etc., and the power that they've got over their players. Same within the French uh, top 14 league as well, if the 12s eventuate. Now, this is, uh, this is what's going to be huge for me, the influence of the 12s, which I think will be a goer at some point, but I also believe that the Players Association, on behalf of the players, will step in uh, from now on in terms of these contracts. There, that is a really interesting point you make, Smithy, and we're seeing it with the IPL, and Brendan McCullum back on the breakfast show this morning was questioning that in terms of cricket. Uh, they've got two more IPL teams now. The sh- uh, that means it's going to be a longer season. Are we going to see more windows for the IPL? And we've seen the ICC are more than happy to accommodate the IPL. Will World Rugby be in the same position, that they'll see this massive cash-making tournament for players that will want to play uh, and that will potentially turn their back on playing international rugby to be part of this if it's paying enough. So that could put world rugby in the same position that the ICC are in, um, and they're, I guess, dictated to the ICC by Indian cricket. So world rugby, what position will they take on this 12s tournament? Very interesting, Smithy. Yeah, well, I'm going to play it up in England as, a, as a, a, I guess, a bit of an appeasement statement. Um, uh, that's, that's important in that regard. But uh, in all honesty, uh, John, I find it... Um, I find it a, a bit of a sham because it's two weekends in a row uh, we've got to wake up and watch this stuff. We don't have to, uh, but you want to, don't you? You want to watch the All Blacks play Wales. It's one of the great traditional games with all their singing and stuff in it, but it's losing its gloss and it, it's, it's a dangerous trend. It really is. I mean, everyone knows the Northern Tour is coming up. Everyone budgets for that. Everyone plans on that. I mean, even through, um, through the pandemic and everything else, it's always been a goer, the Northern Tour. Ugly. 10.50 here on SENZ. Uh, when we return, uh, Louis Herman Watt is with us uh, today uh, on behalf of uh, Thoroughbred Racing. And of course, uh, so too will be Paul Mawadi out of the TAB. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything Thoroughbred Racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt joining us uh, from the studio in Auckland. And uh, they say, I mean, we're going from Mooney Valley to Flemington this weekend, of course, Louis. And they say Derby Day is the greatest day in Australian racing each year. Do you run with it this time around? What are the, what are the uh, highlights coming up for you? Yeah, firstly, I'd just like to mourn one of the great futures bets on on Trivier. Um, <laughs> just yeah. so good until it just wasn't, and the cash came as well, Smithy, and the money came, and I um yeah, 
Anyway, that's for another day. Derby Day is the gr- greatest day in racing. That's what they say. It's the Racing Lovers Day in Australia. It's the purest day over there in Australia, and um, it's a fantastic one. Of course, our 2,000 guineas isn't far away. I'll touch on that very, very and, and not too long at all. Now, let me have a look. I'm trying to find this Victoria, Victorian Derby market. Gunstock, forgot you. This Trent uh, Bussard and a Natalie Young stayer who just looked the goods over the weekend, didn't he? And he's right there in the market. And Tutukaka, uh, Tony Pike's horse, the Kiwi, is $10. So on the mm. fifth line of betting in the market. So we'll be watching that one closely. But, Smithy, how about this? The 2,000 guineas, one of our stallion-making races. I mean, you think, I think we're going to try to track down Lethal in this tomorrow to talk about his ride on Sacred Fools all those years ago. He won last year on the son of Sacred Fools, Aegon. Paranui Bay, what a weekend Trelawney stud had, the Taylors. Congratulations, Vamos Beeb, um, cheaper than divorce, and then Paranui Bay. But because of a quirk in the system, that is Tony Pike didn't realise when the, the late entries, the late noms for the guineas closed, the horse that should be the favourite in the 2000 guineas isn't nominated and can't be nominated, so he's not going. What a shambles. It is a shambles, Louis, an absolute shambles, and uh, it's not really what you want, is it? So uh, not a punting day in New Zealand today, but we'll be back with Louis tomorrow where they will be going around, uh, no doubt, in this country as we lead up uh, towards a huge weekend of racing, particularly uh, Cup Carnival coming up and across the Tasman. Uh, BP, Brendan Popperwell is uh, with us now from uh, the TAB. There's, uh, what, Monday night football in America to look at as well as uh, I guess some futures racing, BP. What's on the agenda today? You're too right. You're right. The especially with the countdown towards uh, a great week in Melbourne, of course, with Melbourne Cup week. But uh, yeah, the Seahawks are playing the Saints. Seahawks open at two seventy uh, now two seventy five. Up at two sixty. Saints are taking some money to at a dollar forty. The total points under forty one and a half might be a play here. There's some inclement weather expected in Seattle tonight, so maybe look towards that option. And here's one for you if you're looking for a bet in the match around Alvin Kamara. Last season, he averaged 50.4 receiving yards per game, and he's 33.5 over receiving yards at $1.87, especially with Seattle giving up a whopping 60 receiving yards per game to the opposing backs. If you're looking for a bet on Monday Night Football, the 187 on Kamara over 33.5 receiving yards might be a play. Okay, thanks very much. That's uh, Brendan Popple. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Eleven no two here on SENZ, and the football ferns were dominated. I think it's fair to say five one by the Olympic champions Canada in game one of their two match series in Ottawa on Sunday. Uh, they head to Montreal for game two tomorrow afternoon. Joining us to review and preview the action is none other than Annalie Longo. Uh, One hundred and twenty four games for the football ferns under her belt. Three Olympic games, uh, women's league player for uh, Sydney and the Melbourne victory as well as uh, play for the Three Kings as well uh, here in New Zealand. So uh, no one better to talk on the subject. Annalie Longo, good morning to you. I looked on your bio on New Zealand football and they call you the flea. Why do they call you the flea? <laughs> yeah, I got that uh, nickname pretty early on in my uh, career. Um, if, you, if you've met me, uh, I'm in pretty small stature. Um, and I grew up tap dancing, so um, yeah, nippy feet and took on the field. So Annalie was a bit long um, to yell out on the pitch, so Annalie and a flea, and it's just kind of stuck. So yeah, now I've got got the nickname flea. 
Well, I have seen you play a lot, actually, um, and, and part of the midfield there for a long, long time. Uh, why, why, um, why are you not over there now? Can I, can I ask you that? Yeah, unfortunately, with all the restrictions at the moment, um, I guess New Zealand football uh, made the call um, to not take over um, any uh, Australasian players. So um, anyone that's based here in New Zealand or Australia, um, just with all of our restrictions in terms of getting in and out of the country, um, mm. they just thought it was safer as a team to not take us over. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame um, to miss a tour, and especially against the Olympic uh, champions. But, um, yeah, in these circumstances, I guess health and safety comes first. And, um, yeah, we've been supporting and watching them from back home. But, um, yeah, we'd definitely all love to be there. Well, the rise of Canadian women's football is, um, is quite apparent. Um, they, they dominated uh, the USA, of course, the number one seeds for the Olympics, and it uh, seems to be... Uh, the number one seeds all the time with the profile that they get, the US women's football team. Were you surprised at that result or has Canada just, just been uh, on the up for quite some time? Yeah, definitely. They've been working hard, um, I guess, for the last kind of six years, really. Um, you know, our old head coach, John Herdman, went over and started that journey. Um, and, yeah, they've been growing and developing and um, I guess they've just found that consistency in the last couple of years. Um, you know, they've always meddled at the last three Olympic Games. So, yeah, I don't think it was definitely a surprise. Um, yeah, it's just, I guess, um, probably something that they've been working towards for a number of years. And I guess winning that gold medal is just kind of the end piece of that. Um, and I guess they'll want to build on that um, heading into 23 World Cup in, in New Zealand and Australia. So uh, new coach uh, Jit uh, Klimkova is in charge of uh, the Football Ferns, of course. Uh, it was her first game in charge without all your players from down under as such. Um, what, did, what did you make of uh, the performance and, and game one, that Canada won 5-1? Yeah, it was always going to be a tough challenge. Uh, you expect that, especially then coming off gold medal match and you know, it took 15, 20 minutes for the game to start. So it was an unusual spectacle, um, but nice for, the, I guess, the Canadians to celebrate that gold medal. Um, I guess for our girls um, watching the game, uh, it was definitely a tough tough watch, but I think I really liked the intent um, that the girls put out there. I think you tried to see them play up from the back. You tried to see them, um, I guess, combined and, and play a different style of football that we haven't seen for a while. So it's a starting point, I think, for the girls and um, something I'm sure Nipka will want to grow on and develop. And I think every game we need to get better. Um, and if we can do that uh, over the next two years, then when we come into the World Cup, um, we'll be a much competitive um, side. So it's basically a 4-3-3 formation. Uh, is that something new um, to the football ferns uh, under a new coach? Yeah, it's definitely a, a new um Formation. I mean, it's a very familiar one for most players. It's quite a common, common formation um, that we all play. But um, yeah, we flipped out of uh, a lot of different ways: um, three-five-two and, and diamond and, and all sorts. So um, yeah, it's just really about the principles and the, the fundamentals. And um, yeah, we just need to keep getting better as a team, quicker on the ball, quicker decision making, and, and that will really help us uh, in creating more opportunities going forward. Although the pluses, uh, obviously, when uh, you leave experienced players at home. There is a plus, and it gives new people the opportunity to get experience at that level. But it was good to see an older hand return from illness and Rosie White. Yeah, she's a fantastic player. It was nice to see her back in the pitch, and she's a, a core member of, I guess, the culture and the, and the team. So, yeah, definitely nice to see her back out there. And, yeah, I thought it was fantastic to see some younger players get the opportunity. 
uh, and hopefully in game two you'll see that again. Um, we need to grow that depth and, and, and create players that create healthy competition within the environment. So, yeah, nice opportunity for some players and, and hopefully they get a bit more time in, in game two and um, over the next two years we'll, we'll see a, a very competitive nature of the squad. Yep. So a debut coming on for uh, Rosie White was uh, Jackie Hand and we've got a, another uncapped trio there of Talia Herman Watt and the Alea. Uh, Anelia Jensen and uh, Sam Tafaru. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about uh, their backgrounds as we look forward to them making some sort of impact. Yeah, they've um, most of them growing up uh, around the country uh, of New Zealand. Um, Talia from obviously Canterbury um, and the Canterbury Pride, um, and um, Amelia Abbott as well, and then a couple from Auckland. So. They started their journey uh, in New Zealand and then recently they went over to um, America and played in the college system. Um, so being over there, it's obviously given them the opportunity. They've obviously done well in the States um, and yet can see them and, and given them the call-up. So, um, yeah, nice opportunity for those players and, um, yeah, I guess see how they go in the environment, um, just step up and, and, you know, I guess see what they can do. What about the goalkeeping um department there, um, Aaron Naylor under a, a little bit of pressure there and Alita's an exciting young prospect, we've seen her on show before so um, very competitive in, in that particular area Yeah, I think that's what you want with a squad, you know when you become comfortable sometimes um, you know things uh, get easy and you don't always improve and get better and get challenged so um, that's what you want, a competitive side um, and yeah, Anna's obviously over at West Ham now um, you know, in and out of the starting lineup and things like that, getting game time. So she'll definitely push Erin um, for the number one. And then you've also got Victoria Essen as well as the, another goalkeeper that's playing um, in Norway. So, yeah, very healthy, competitive squad. And, um, yeah, I guess if they don't step up, then the next one's ready and waiting. And, um, yeah, I guess it's, a, it's a, a good place to be as a team. It's a little bit of an unknown fact, isn't it? We're all fully aware of how many... Uh, rugby players we send overseas playing in various divisions in various countries but uh, just by what you were saying now and the number of players you've quoted through in different systems and leagues uh, we must have quite a lot of women's footballers playing um, outside New Zealand um, is that the case and just uh, roughly how many would you would you know we'd have over there? Yeah I think um, that's definitely something that's grown I think from the 2011 World Cup we saw most players heading over to professional contracts and, and more than sports, just growing hugely, um, whether it be in football or anything else. But yeah, for football, there's professional leagues now all around the world. We've got players playing in Iceland, Germany, um, Sweden, Japan, all sorts. So um, yeah, there's definitely more opportunities for females to go overseas and, and play professionally. And then obviously we've got the US and the college system um, that seems to be very inviting for players in education and um, the ability to play football. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a number of players over there. There's probably, I mean, when you look at the squad that's been selected, there's um, yeah, roughly about 23, 24 players that were selected, I guess, from overseas places, and there's definitely more players than that over there. Um, so, yeah, definitely is a pathway um, for players. And, you know, obviously now we've got the Wellington Phoenix, which is hopefully will keep maybe a few players in and around New Zealand and, and I guess, a stepping stone. Um, but ultimately, players want to go and play in the best leagues in the world, and that's um, unfortunately in Europe and, and around and around the place like that. So, so Annalie, what's your immediate future in terms of uh, perhaps signing for the Phoenix or uh, another side within this competition? Uh, so I have just um, decided to, to step back. Um, 
I guess, for the next few months. So obviously, I couldn't travel to, to Canada, um, so that made that decision a little bit easier. But um, I've just taken a new role at New Zealand Football, um, the Women's mm-hmm. Football Development Manager. Um, so at the moment, just without being able to travel and the uncertainty of everything, I'm, I'm going to focus um, for the next couple of months on that. And then I guess we'll we'll see when the, the borders open and that availability is there, um, my next move. But in the meantime, I'm here in Christchurch um, at the moment and I'll, I'll play for the pride if, if we have a National Women's League um, this year and then um, I guess look to get into action um, yeah, next year and, and when things are a little bit more certain and, and what movements we can do. So you're in, involved in the development of, of New Zealand football. What age group is that? And, and what are the numbers like uh, in terms of uh, women's football in this country or, or uh, girls' football at secondary school, etc.? What, what are the numbers like? What's the following? Yeah, it's certainly, um, certainly growing. Um, I think uh, in the last kind of two or three years, we've come a little bit stagnant. So I guess my role coming in, I've only been in the role three weeks now, um, is really to, to look at those participation numbers and how we can get more girls into the game, um, whether that's through more girls-only um, kind of offerings and initiatives or trying to be more flexible in what we deliver as football um, to get more people involved. So obviously World Cup, that's really going to really gonna help. At the moment, for, for females or girls, there's one in every five players is a female. So um, I'd love to try and close that gap, um, I, I guess, to have a 50-50 split between girls and boys. Um, so that's something we're really working towards and obviously the World Cup and the visibility that that will bring in 23 will, will really help that. Is that still on your agenda, the, the World Cup 2023? Yeah, definitely, yep. Oh, that's good news, absolutely good news. And uh, I would imagine uh, America, the United States will be regrouping as well because I've had uh, two or three of their uh, older players retire at the end of this uh, unsuccessful campaign. So... Uh, I'm a bit of reshuffling for, from them because I've I've always sort of been the yardstick, haven't they? They're, they're the ones that have, have held the baton uh, and are so popular in America. Yeah, they have. They're an incredible side. They've got a lot of depth and, um, yeah, you only have to look at every game they host. It's a full stadium and there's, there's girls with shirts and names on their back and things like that. You know, they've created a real um, package um, and obviously they're a very successful team. So... Yeah, they're definitely the level that everyone's striving towards and um, yeah, they consistently medal at most events. Um, so yeah, that's the level we want to try and develop and grow and um, it's obviously hard with a, a smaller population but um, I guess that's what we strive for. Okay, Annalie, thank you very much for your time this morning. Look forward to uh, Game 2 tomorrow between uh, New Zealand and Canada and Montreal and let's hope we can close the gap a wee bit and show a, a little bit of further improvement. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, cheers. Annalie Longo, uh, 124 games uh, under her belt already for the football firms and just stepping back uh, to do a little bit of work for New Zealand football and then, of course, uh, heading back towards her plans to be part of the 2023 uh, World Cup, which New Zealand, of course, are hosting. Exciting times uh, for women's football. 11.15 here on SENZ. Still chance for you to, to text in, be part of... Uh, the group that are trying to win the temper pillow for this week for 299 bucks, or the uh, overall package, including the mattress, the base, and the pillows for $10,000. $10,000. Must be some money in the mattress for that. $10,000. Um, already we've had a text come in for, for about the over 35s. How about Ross Taylor for a Kiwi over 35? How good is he? Outstanding. 
absolutely outstanding, but I think Ross Taylor would agree he's not quite yet at the level of Tom Brady. We'll be back shortly. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Interesting text has just come in, Smitty. Has there been any dialogue between the football ferns and the Phoenix in terms of the style of play, formations, etc.? It may be beneficial going forward if everyone is on the same page. I think that's a good point, actually, uh, because hopefully uh, it would be nice too to see if the Phoenix uh, are able to get quite a few, quite a few um, football ferns in their squad uh, and that they're playing together because these opportunities with people overseas, etc., uh, are not often that easy uh, to come by. So uh, that might be something in their thinking as they recruit as well. Hopefully they're in cahoots, uh, New Zealand football and the Phoenix, even though they're different organisations. Uh, Mark says, good morning, Smitty. Need a new pillow, so keen to win the temper pillow. Uh, for a great New Zealand story of an over 35, has anyone brought up Steve Alka and the, the prop from Buller, who is 40 at 47, answered the Hail Mary call to get the record for the oldest player to play a Heartland Championship game. Didn't know about that. Uh, for an international, you can't go past uh, the captain of the Detroit Red Wings, 41, and still playing in the NHL. Very, very good indeed. Uh, I'm not quite sure how, Gretzky, how old Gretzky was when he finished, but uh, there's another one, the great one, Wayne Gretzky. I'm pretty sure he was pretty close to 35, maybe plus 35. Uh, anyway, some uh, cricket news uh, to catch up on this morning. Um, the Blanket Shield uh, first round is into day four. Uh, Canterbury against uh, Central Districts at the Hagley Oval. And at the moment, Canterbury still require 365 runs to win today off a minimum of 85.2 overs. So that's uh, a touch over 4.2 runs per over. Uh, the good news for them is they haven't lost a wicket today. So uh, our internationals, Tom Latham and Henry Nichols, are at the crease. And uh, at the moment, they sit on 85 without loss. Latham on 37 and Nichols on 44. So some good signs there. And uh, if nothing else, they will be getting uh, a lot of batting practice. Meanwhile, in the capital, where uh, the sun is shining today, um, Wellington are on track to record the first uh, outright victory of the season. They require just uh, another 73 runs. They've got all day to get them. And uh, at the moment, they're 120 for one with Georgeson uh, not out on 61, and Bracewell, the captain, just joined him at the crease. He's on nine. So it looks like a, an outright victory for the Wellington Firebirds. Stags uh, and Canterbury, maybe uh, they're looking at a draw at this point, unless the Stags can some make some uh, inroads in this first session this morning, John. So um, also uh, we heard from Kane Williamson overnight. One of the subjects of the morning has been just What's the feeling going to be like between Pakistan and New Zealand going into this game tonight? Uh, I would imagine Pakistan will be quite angry. I don't think they're going to do New Zealand any favours, and I wouldn't be that nice of all if I was in their shoes. But it wasn't these players' fault. In fact, most of these guys weren't even in uh, that Pakistan touring party. They've been playing their T20 cricket elsewhere around the world. So what does Kane Williamson think um, of uh, the match-up tonight and the feeling that might be involved? As a team... Um, you know, we really felt uh, for for the loss of that series. Um, you know, especially for the, the Pakistani fans and and players, it was it was a real shame. You know, and and we certainly hope that international cricket returns there um, as soon as possible. Um, but look, yeah, the, the focus is this first game. Um, you know, there are a lot of good uh, relationships you know, between players and and both sides, and 
like I say, I'm sure it'll be played in, in, in good spirit. So uh, courtesy of uh, PIC insurance brokers who are going into bat for you from uh, quote to claim time. Uh, that was the quote from Kane Williamson. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, about that. Um, I think he's painting quite a nice picture to it, John. I, I kind of feel that um, Pakistan, um, because the feeling was, was pretty much across the board there, the players were upset, the board desperately upset about things, and uh, the, the feeling right from the outset there was uh, it's time when we get to uh, the T20 World Cup, it's time to show just exactly how we feel about that. Um, so there you go. Uh, it's interesting. I think Kane Williamson's always likely to put uh, a nice light on it. Yeah, we're the nice guys, aren't we? And I always kind of equate Pakistan cricket to the French rugby team. Uh, like the more the more drama and people getting fired and new coaches and captaincy dramas and everything like that, the better they get at these world tournaments. And it just seems to me, Smithy, that this is the best thing that could have happened to Pakistan cricket just before. Um, a bit of turmoil, a bit of angst. Uh, get angry, find it, find a common enemy. They've always got one in India, dealt to them by mm. ten wickets. Now they've got another one in us and another one in England. It just gets them up, Smithy. Like, is that? Would you see it that way? Them and the French rugby team are kind of similar. The more chaos, the more disruption, the better that they get. And, and they've always ripped our ration card. To be fair, Pakistan, they've beaten us in key matches a lot over the years, going way, way back. Uh, they're a side that um, have always caused us trouble. Um, they've always had one or two key players in their side which we either can't dismiss or we can't handle with ball in hand. And they've got a quality side. Uh, the slight upside to them beating India by 10 wickets and getting all that confidence, the slight upside for us is that none of the other batsmen got a bat. Uh, and so for that reason, uh, they'll be fresh. So if we can get through Rizwan, if we can possibly get through Rizwan, Muhammad Rizwan and Baba Razan early on in the piece, it'll put some pressure on some guys that haven't played so far with the bat in the tournament. That is the upside for us. Now, the good upside for us here on SENZ, John, is uh, courtesy of uh, Razine Paints, the most trusted paint brand for the last 10 years in New Zealand. Uh, we're commentating it. Tell us about that. That is fantastic, isn't it? So 3am, every New Zealand game will be live on SENZ, commentated by none other than the hero of the Black Caps in 2015, Grant Elliott, and uh, his offsider, in Wellington, Daniel McCarty, who's been in the industry for donkeys, I think 10, 20 years maybe, doing commentary a long time, alongside Brian Waddle for a lot of that time, so learning from one of the greats, and they'll do a great job in the middle of the night for us at Smithy. I love cricket on the radio. There's nothing better. I think it um, signals the start of summer. Probably uh, too late at night to start painting the fence or something and listen to the cricket at 3am, but that is awesome that SENZ is bringing that to all our listeners live. Every game that the Black Caps are in at the T20 World Cup, you can hear it while probably lying in your bed, maybe with a cup of tea, at 3am. And it's interesting just looking at the pattern of the scores on that ground so far, John, and they're playing at Sharjah Cricket Ground. Uh, this was the ground where uh, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka fought out quite a high-scoring game. 171 played 172. It's also the game uh, ground where last night Afghanistan managed to score 190 without too much trouble at all against Scotland. People will say, yeah, well, Scotland only managed to get uh, 50, uh, 60 runs as a result, so they lost by 130. But the ball didn't turn too much. I, I didn't think it was an excessive turn or, or odd bounce that was the undoing of uh, the Scottish batsmen. They just hadn't seen. They had not seen um, players uh, for quite some time, I would imagine, who could turn the ball and deceive with the art of flight and the art of hand action uh, that the Afghanistan players uh, were able to do. So 
Uh, they're a wonderful team in terms of their bowling. Don't worry about that. And they go for it at the top of the order, Afghanistan. So uh, whilst there was uh, no shame in losing to them, uh, I think um, the margin was the thing that will more concern uh, Scotland, who have probably exceeded expectations by getting to the stage of the tournament anyway. Uh, getting back to our uh, text um, subject of the day, and that, of course, is uh, achievers, world-class achievers over the age of 35 still partaking in their sports. Um, well, I'm not sure that uh, Satchel Page is, but uh, I would imagine he isn't. If you've watched the Ken Burns doco, doco baseball, you'd know the story of Satchel Page, probably the best pitcher of all time. He finally played in the MLB in his late 40s, but was rumoured to have lied about his age and was possibly a lot older than that. So that's a story uh, from the past. Doesn't quite fit the bracket today because uh, we wanted them still taking part, uh, which does include Chris Johnson, uh, jockey uh, who holds the New Zealand win record and still going strong at the age of 57. 57, Chris Johnson, the magic man. Right, coming up to 11.30 here on SENZ, uh, we'll have our Mount Rushmore around about 11.40, but prior to that, it's time to stump Smithy. 11.30, here's Trudy. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Plenty of room, actually, this morning, which is weird. Um, people must have a long weekend and forget that they can win 50 bucks from the TAB and some daytime revive from Sleep Drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and sport stress support supplements. 0800-150-811, because if Steve from Auckland gets stumped, there's no one sitting behind him when he's uh, ready to get those prizes. So get on your phone. It's never too late to be part of the game and try and beat Smithy at a sport quiz. So, Steve, you're on the line. How are you, mate? Pre no pressure, mate, but you're the only one. Well, I should get through to you now, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should get a free pass. No, mate, nothing comes for free on this show. You've got to earn it. So you get three sporting categories. You choose one and then get three questions. Get them all right. You win. Get one wrong, though, and Smithy can stump you. So today your sports are basketball, tennis, and Formula One. Which one do you like? Ooh. I'll go tennis, mate. Tennis. All right. Why not? Let's go. Steve from Auckland. Do you play a bit? Play a bit of tennis? No, not really, eh? More of a contact sport. Oh, nice. Nice. Run it straight. All right, mate. Let's start. One. First question. South African-born, New Zealand-raised and great British tennis representative Cameron Norrie announced himself to the world last week by winning which tournament known as the biggest event outside of the four Grand Slams? The India Wells? Indiana Wells, Right in the slot, and away it goes. Some sort of hybrid between India and Indiana Jones and Indian Wells was correct, Smithy. Yep, absolutely. Had that one nailed. So, uh, well done, Steve. Congratulations. You're one up. All right. One love to Thank Steve. You, but this is a best of three sets. It's like a Grand Slam itself. First to three sets wins. Question number two. <laughs> Novak Djokovic missed out on winning every Grand Slam this year after losing the US Open final. Who beat him in New York in that final? Uh, Come on, Steve. I'm going to have to have a stab at this. Um, Don't be shy. No, I'm not sure. Not sure? The, One Nadal? of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Was that a late Nadal that you chucked in there? 
It was, yeah. Yeah, didn't even play at well, the US Open, it. Smithy, so that is wrong. <laughs> so a chance for a stumping. Yeah, look, I, I've got a feeling that it was one of the young brigade coming through and uh, absolutely outclassed them, actually. I don't Djokovic wasn't that close, to be fair. I'm gonna, I've got a sneaky, it was Andre Medvedev. Do you want to have another go at that name, Smithy? No. Okay. I quite like well, that I'm not, I'm not quite good. sure whether to give you right or wrong, because half of it's right and half wrong. of it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong? Brian, you're making the call? Yeah, sure. One of the wrong worst then. things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was Daniil Medvedev. Andre might be his brother. I'm not sure. But um, Brian came in and he said that's incorrect, Smithy. So I would have actually given a stumping there. I like the last name. It was good enough for me, but not for Brian. Who's a hard taskmaster, and Stevie's now your best friend. Yeah, I would have oh, given that too, but I'll take it. <laughs> yep, yep, so you're still alive. Question number three. Emma Raducanu won the US Open out of absolutely nowhere. Where does the 18-year-old Brit sit in the world rankings? 18. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Amazing that story still, Smithy. Emma Raducanu still hasn't won a tour match, but she's won a Grand Slam, which is quite amazing. So where is she ranked in the world? Oh, I'm not sure she's still that high. Uh, to be a qualifier, she would have been uh, well and truly outside the top 40. I think she was about 170. I'll, I'll say she's probably improved 100 positions, and I'll go for 72. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. She's climbed a long way up. She's up to 23 in the world, 18-year-old Emma Raducanu, which means, Steve-O, you got one question right, but you get the 50 bucks from the TAB, but no sleep drops because you need to get the third question right to get some daytime revive. So nothing there but 50 bucks from the TAB. Not too bad. Thanks, mate. Going to be hard getting to sleep now, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you won't need them to... You won't need them tonight, mate, because you can listen to us on SENZ um, as we do uh, the Black Caps uh, versus Pakistan with uh, Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. So make sure that uh, you can put that in on your transistor when you go to bed and listen to us. But in the meantime, stay on the line, Steve, and Brian will get your details. It's 11.37 here on SENZ, uh, and when we come back, we'll have uh, Jimi Hendrix playing the theme to Mount Rushmore. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Star Spangled Banner by the Jimi Hendrix uh, heavy metal in the background there, but it doesn't change the theme. And it is the theme today for us on our top four sporting identities, participants who are still playing the game at over the age of 35 to an absolute standout world-class level. John, you're going to lead us off today. I am. First off the tee, um, my first entrance uh, at number four on my Mount Rushmore of over 35s is... Showing no signs of slowing down, pardon the pun. He is 36 years old and he is breaking records still. He finds the chequered flag as a centurion. Lewis Hamilton, it's a hundred race victories. He wins the Russian Grand Prix and he retakes the championship lead. Get in there, Lewis. 
That's it, mate. That's the 100. Yeah, well reacted at the end there, Lewis. Beautiful drive, mate. Great effort, guys. That was hard work, man. It's taken us a long time to get that 100. But so grateful for all of you for all the work back in the factory and here. Thanks so much for not giving up on me. Shout out to Scott Dixon too, who was right on the cusp there, but I had to go Lewis Hamilton, Smithy, just 100 if Formula One wins, more than anyone else yep. ever. It seems to get better with age and seems to be becoming a better man with age as well. Lewis Hamilton, I don't think mm. he's going anywhere in a hurry. I think he'll add a lot more race wins to that. So he's my number four. Okay, I'll take that on board, and I think that's a really good choice. Uh, i got to say, with all the motor racing and the fathers and sons, I, I didn't think that deeply about motor racing. Uh, but certainly, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, well worthy of a spot in your top four, uh, which leads me to my uh, number four. Caruso will bring it up. LeBron James already celebrating. I'm sure they are back in Los Angeles again. As the Lakers will win game six. Final seconds here in this NBA season. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, that's uh, LeBron James uh, winning uh, his fourth NBA title, this time with the LA Lakers last year. There was no atmosphere there. You can hear that in the background because it was played under the bubble system. But uh, four MVPs as well in terms of NBA playoffs, uh, two Olympic golds, uh, probably the still ranked the, the number one basketball player in the world now. Uh, his uh, net worth is around $850 million calculated early this year. So he's right up there for me, and he's my number four. LeBron James, still not as good as Michael Jordan, but currently playing um, and uh, still doing extremely well. And a threat this year alongside Anthony Davis, as long as they get rid of Russell Westbrook in time, they might go again, the Lakers. Yeah, man, basketballers come and go, don't they? But LeBron James has been around for so long and still at that elite level, so absolutely deserves a spot on Mount Rushmore. My number three is getting on, heading towards 40, actually, and doing one of the toughest things I think you can do in sport, and that's fast bowling. I'm gone. That's the wicket. And the expression changes immediately. Number 600 for Jimmy Anderson. What a fantastic moment for Jimmy Anderson. All smiles now. It's been a long and frustrating wait between wickets 598 to 600. But he's got there now. A bit of extra bounce, a bit of zip off the pitch. Safe hands of Joe Root. There's nobody in to take the applause as Jimmy Anderson holds the ball high, but there'll be many watching on TV. 39 years old now, Smithy, 632 test wickets, the most of any fast bowler of all time, still a very key man for England as they head down to Australia for the Ashes. So number three, Mount Rushmore of over 35s for me, Jimmy Anderson, the Englishman. Yep, good choice. Didn't consider him myself, I've got to say. Um, but yeah, I'm fantastic, and I hope he gets... Uh, 630 by the end of summer, which means he will have had a good ashes, uh, and that means uh, England will be in with a chance. So um, I don't think so. But, yeah, Jimmy Anderson, don't mind Jimmy at all. And uh, he's he's up there, but I'm sorry, he's not as good as my number three. For Roger Federer, he's three championship points. He has done it! 
A sensational six for Federer down under. He took the scenic route, but he's got there in the end. A winner against Chilich. 2018 Australian Open that was for Roger Federer beating Maran Cilic there and uh, that was an outstanding performance to bring up his 20th yeah 20th Grand Slam um, is he the greatest tennis player of all time um, people that support clay tennis tennis on clay probably think that he isn't because uh, he hasn't certainly he's won one French Open but he hasn't mastered uh, clay uh, by any stretch of the imagination uh, so far they say on, on April this year he's amassed 450 million bucks, uh, Roger Federer and his bank account, a man with uh, four kids and uh, obviously still going, uh, but it can't be too far away, so I've got to get him into my list before it's too late. Roger Federer, number three. Just sneaking in there. Well, I reckon my number two on Mount Rushmore of over 35s might have a claim to be the best tennis player of all time. To our 2017 Australian Open champion. She won her... 23rd Grand Slam title tonight, now only one behind the great Margaret Court for the seventh time champion here at Melbourne Park and with it all, back to number one in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, our champion, the legendary Serena Williams. Serena Williams, now 40, I think she was 36 and pregnant when she won her last of her 23 Grand Slams back then, Serena Williams. So for me, Smithy, you can have Federer at three, but for me, Serena Williams at number two, over 35, still doing it, as well as uh, giving birth to children. She's She is the best player I've seen, I reckon, just changed the game in terms of women's tennis. So number two on my Mount Rushmore of over 35s, Serena Williams. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, perhaps you take that on board. Uh, wouldn't be in my top four, probably wouldn't be in my top six. I'd have Valerie Adams before Serena Williams, uh, but Valerie didn't make my top four either. Sadly, she was very, very close. Uh, my number two, a lot of people have mentioned him this morning. He is the GOAT, the GOAT in his field. Brady, play action. Looking. Third option. End zone. Caught! Gronkowski again with the touchdown. And when the Super Bowl ended... The ball would be in the hands of Tom Brady. I don't know why we ever think it won't. And they said he couldn't do it if he wasn't with the Patriots. Well, he turned around and did it first time up, really, didn't he? Uh, with the Buccaneers. So, uh, And that's how good and how influential Tom Brady has been on American football and the NFL. Seven Super Bowls, five MVPs, most career wins, most career touchdown passes, most career passing yards. Uh, they say at a conservative $270 million for his efforts as well. Um, and uh, I think his wife, actually, Giselle Buncher, makes more money than him. Uh, but uh, they're a wealthy family, there's no doubt about it. But Tom Brady, for me, uh, I love my American sport, and uh, he is absolutely, as I said, the GOAT at number two. Yeah, and shows no no signs of letting up either. My number one, uh, I don't have the audio. He just played at the weekend and he is my favourite over 35 athlete because like you've mentioned in your top four so far, you've got Tom Brady, hundreds of millions of dollars. Roger Federer, almost half a billion dollars. LeBron James, probably about the same. This guy's playing for nothing, Smithy, and it's Ma'a Nonu, 39 years old, fronting up for East Coast at the weekend, just doing it for the love of it. He's been an all-black, he's been a world champion, he's got nothing to prove. 
He's a bit like Phil Beveridge, the bullet prop who someone sent in at 47 years old still playing the game. And that's why I love over 35 Smithy, playing it for the love of it, not for the dollars. So my number one on my Mount Rushmore of over 35s is Ma'anonu. Well, okay, I'll, I'll run with that because he went to Rongatai College, all right? And only great people went there. But what I will say is this, John, you've missed the boat on this. Completely and utterly missed. You've gone for sentiment uh, in a couple of your choices. Uh, and you just can't do that in a, a competition like Mount Rushmore, which demands excellence. I mean, not even one person, not one person texted in or rung in this morning and said number one, the number one sportsman in the world, laid up at the moment with uh, a bit of a leg problem, courtesy to um, not taking the bend in a car one day. But he, here he is, and no one's mentioned this guy. Many doubted we'd ever see it. But here it is. The return to glory. I never thought we'd see anything that could rival the hug with his father in 1997. But we just did. That will be the greatest scene in golf forever, Jim Nance. And that, that hug it. with his children. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, if you're a parent... You're not human. No. Oh, goodness me, folks. Tiger Woods? Goodness me. What were you thinking? 15 majors, 5 masters, 4 PGAs, 3 US Opens, 3 Open Championships, a mere $800 million in the bank. Don't write him off yet either. So uh, whilst he's not currently on the PGA Tour, when he comes back, he will come back with an earnest and like to make a statement before he turns 50 uh, and then probably doesn't even bother to go on the Champions Tour. Why would he? But that is it, mate. Tiger Woods, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? I'll bet Staffy had Tiger Woods on his list.